And welcome to the 333rd installment of Growing the Game with Ballsy. Looking forward to a great 2023. And thanks to our sponsors. Time to recognize one of our major sponsors, the John Ryan Foundation. He is, of course, football royalty, the only Saskatchewan kid to win a Super Bowl. And he's always given back to the Queen City, both with the RMF and the Regina Rams and other charity ventures, including helping out with this podcast. Our first quarter is brought to you by our friends at Face First Medical Aesthetics. Beat back father time in a naturally looking way with Crescinda on Beauty Avenue above Gabos on Dudney in downtown Regina. And in this first quarter, we visit with Saskatchewan Rough Rider football royalty, Plaza of Honor inductee, 2007 Grey Cup champ, MOP that season, and now an assistant coach with the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL. Kerry Joseph joining us, Ryder Football Royalty in the Plaza of Honor. Thanks for taking my call, Kerry. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. I love talking football with you. Uh, so, Arash Madani was on with me. You and him were together in Ottawa when he got into this league. He was in the communication side. You were, do you remember, he told me to ask this, do you remember being sixth on the depth chart when training camp started, and then all of a sudden by midseason you were the guy. Yes, I do remember that clearly. Uh, I remember just coming into camp and was told that you know I hadn't played quarterback in I want to say seven seven years or so, uh, and I was just told to you know be patient and, and work my way up the depth chart. But for me, when you told me that and you put me that far down the depth chart, it just uh, it just struck a burning fire inside of me to prove that I belong. But I do remember that. So there's a guy on the Seattle Seahawks who you coach because you're on the staff named Geno Smith. Geno Smith had an excellent Pro Bowl-like year. Didn't end the way he wanted, obviously. Uh, how much did Kerry Joseph help with that? That guy had a burning desire to show everybody wrong this year. He really did. Uh, you know what? Working in that quarterback room with Geno was, uh, was tremendous. Uh, you know, alongside with Dave Canales and our OC Shane Waldron, uh, I was able to really uh, build a, a relationship and a bridge with Geno to help him. Uh, so, you know, from the coaching side, but also from that former player side. And uh, Geno came into camp very focused in shape. And he just took all the coaching and did everything that, that's needed at that position. And he got the results. We got the results as a team. Yes, we, we fell short of our ultimate goal, but, uh, but we really uh, exceeded a bunch of expectations. And then a lot of that was because of Gino. And I was, uh, I was glad to be a part of that and be able to coach him on, on the physical side and also the mental side because it, it, it's tough. Playing that position is a tough position. Uh, you got to be able to take the good and the bad, and I just wanted to make sure that he understood that as a as a man and as a leader that sometimes you had to take the blame, even though it might not be your fault. But it comes with that territory, so it was really good working with him in that room. You know, one of the things we suffer with here in the CFL, we don't have the budget of the NFL, and they've cut kind of the caps for the coaching and operations side. And you know, it's limited how many coaches you can have on a staff, and and a lot of times the quarterback coach bites it. He gets it right. Like Ahari Jones was the quarterback's coach for Darian Durant here. How important is your role? being a quarterback's coach, not just for coaching, but for the counseling part, if you know what I mean? I think it's very important uh, because, you know, for me, I've been in that fire. Uh, I've been behind the center. Uh, You know what it feels like. So you have empathy for that guy, but also you can can really challenge the guy because you know what it feels like. You know what it looks like. And when you have that mutual relationship and that partnership and respect for one another, uh, it goes a long way. And I think, and, and not taking anything from away from guys, there are great coaches that never played the, the game. And, they, and, 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 and you know, they're all over the league, all over the CFL. So I'm not you know, discrediting that. But it's just something about when you've been in that fire, you can really relate to each other. And, uh, and have a good understanding. And so I think it is important because that mental piece of, uh, of knowing how to, uh, to, to, to quiet the noise, you know, to manage the expectations, uh, 
to do those things and do your job is very important. Yeah. I look at a guy like Dave Dickinson here in the CFL with the Calgary Stampeders, played at a high level, maybe even Ryan Dinwiddie, who just won the Grey Cup with Toronto. I think those guys that played quarterback are 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 designed to be coaches for this reason. You're coaching in the huddle. You, you, you don't have, in the CFL, it's 20 seconds. NFL, a little longer, 40 seconds. But whether you throw an incompletion or, or something doesn't go right, you got to move on to the next play and you got to go and you got to go and you got to go and you got to be calm and you got to, or sometimes you got to be in somebody's face. And those are all good characteristics of coaches. It, it, it really is. You know, uh, when you think about the quarterback position, uh, it, it, it's some things that come with that. And, it, and, and as a coach, you know, you look for that in your quarterback. You look for that extension of the coaching staff. And that's one thing I learned in my career is you got to be the coach on the field. So you got to know what everybody has to do. You got to be able to get correct guys, you know, uh, get guys lined up and take a little bit of the pressure off the coaches by doing that on the field. Because at the end of the day, as a coach, we can give you all the schemes, we can give you the plays, we can give you the scouting report. But when that ball is kicked off, you guys have to play the game. So you have to take ownership. So that's why it's important for that guy that's in the huddle to take ownership. Kerry Joseph joining us here, assistant coach with the Seattle Seahawks, and of course you know him as Rough Rider football royalty. Um, KJ, now <laughs> I look at Pete Carroll, he's chomping on his gum, he's going up and down the sidelines, he's got the energy, he's, he's four years younger than my dad, my dad wouldn't be doing that, okay? Uh how much does coaching with a guy like that keep you young and coaching these young up-and-coming athletes like a Geno Smith keep you young, keep you vibrant? It does. You know what? you got to match, uh, match Pete's energy, and he challenges you as a, uh, as a coach, as an assistant coach, to match that. You know, and he, expect, he expects us to be on a high uh, every day we step out on the field in meetings, and when you – if you ever get a, if you would ever get a chance to step into our meetings, uh, we have fun. We we work, we focus, but we have fun with a lot of energy. And it comes from him. It comes from the top. It comes from our GM, uh, our owner. You know, uh, uh, Mr. Paul Allen's sister uh, Jody. She's competitive. You know, so you have to step into that arena and you have to bring it every day. If not, you're going to get left behind. And that's. That's just the atmosphere that he's created over there, the environment that he's created, and it makes work fun. It's enjoyable to go into the building because you know that you're going to get the job done and you're going to have fun doing it. So I don't know if you'll ever get a handle on football. I, I think that's one thing in life, football or anything, you're always learning. But how is Kerry Joseph a, a better coach today than before he took this job? And are you starting to get the handle of coaching in the NFL? Yeah, you know what? I've gotten a handle uh, of coaching. Uh, you know, I've always been a guy that's been uh, proactive, always wanted to stay ahead of the curve, uh, and, and, and always wanted to learn and stay curious about what's next. And that's what you have to do in this game of football because it's always evolving. It's always a door that you can open to learn something. Uh, and, you know, even like right now, you know, we have four weeks off, but I'm still here in the Pacific Northwest. And what I do, I go into the office for about four hours in the morning while my wife is at work, and I just do self, uh, uh, professional development, just learning, just watching film, jotting notes down, just trying to find a way to better myself. And that's what you have to do at this high level of coaching uh, because it is it, always it's always evolving. So you got to make sure you try to find something uh, and, and, and learn something every day. And that's my challenge. I cannot try to learn something every day or every week that I can put into my coaching bag. Is there a, is there a different way to watch film as a player as opposed to a coach? That might sound like a dumb question, but I, I wonder, is there is there a difference? It's not a difference, but everybody has their preference. Uh, some coaches like to jump in and just watch the game, you know, to get a feel as a coordinator, likes to get a feel of, okay, how is the defensive coordinator calling the game? You know, what's his flow throughout the course of the game? Whereas a player, for me, I used to love watching the cut-ups. So by different formations, mm-hmm. I, I want to see, okay, when we're in this formation, what coverages they play? What does it look like? When we're in this formation, on, on this down and distance, 
what coverage do they play versus this personnel group? What does it look like? So everybody has a preference of how they like to watch uh, the film. For me, I still watch it like I was when I was a player. I watched the cutoffs first, and then later in the week, I watched the games to get a feel of how the game goes. Uh, part of my job on game day is charting the coverages. So I sit up in the box, chart the coverages, look for tendencies in certain down and distance, and give that to our coaches down on the field. So for me, I still follow my pattern of watching. So now at the back end of the, of the week, okay, let me see the flow of the game. What does it look like? and these down in distance, and I just kind of make my notes off of that. You were a okay. defensive back when you started in Seattle. You've played quarterback. Now you're coaching quarterbacks. I love offense. I taught my. It's funny. I taught my son to be a receiver, but now he's playing D1 football as a safety, so I'm kind of looking at it a different way. But I, I think we're making this game too much in favor of the offense. How do you feel? Because I know Tom Brady said, hey, I benefit from these rules, but I don't necessarily like all these changes. How do you feel, Kerry Joseph? I think it's benefiting the offense also. Uh, It's uh, when you think about even just the the hitting, uh, just some of the calls, it's kind of leaning toward the offense, and I think it's more because people want points to be scored. Uh, and and it it makes it hard on defense at times. But at the same time, uh, I get it. You know, we're in the entertainment business. You know, people want to see points on the board. Uh, It's not all fair to the defense. And and it's not – I don't think it's tilted that much. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would agree that the rules and some of the things that have been changed uh, benefits the offense a little bit more. So Nathan Rourke from the BC Lions, Canadian quarterback, absolutely lit it up here. He threw for 25 touchdowns and almost 3,400 yards in nine games before he was hurt, came back for the playoffs. He just signed with the Jags. I'm not getting you to comment on another uh, you know, team's player that way, but I do want to ask you this. Is it because Mark Tressman, the great CFL coach who helped Rich Gannon to an MVP season in 2002, I believe, when they went to the Super Bowl against the Bucks, he said he believes it's harder to quarterback in the CFL than the NFL. I would like your opinion on that. You know, I've heard that. Uh, I heard that it's difficult for guys to transition up north. Uh, and I don't know, is it because of the field is wider? And just having that 12th guy on the field makes a big difference. So I think guys in the South, they're so used to having 11 guys, you know where they're lined up, and now all of a sudden you throw a 12th guy out on the field. I think it kind of messes with a, a few quarterbacks that way. Uh, I, I don't know. Cause I, didn't, I didn't experience that because I came from defense, and for me it helped me coming from the defensive side because I was able to picture – the defense. I, I was able to picture where they're supposed to be at and also just add that extra guy. But it's funny that you say that because you do see a lot of guys that come from the South go up there and they struggle with, with the Canadian football game. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because guys come up here and they automatically think they're going to own this league. I'm going to run roughshod and I'm going to go down to the back to the United States and get my shot. And it doesn't often happen like that. What you know, was it an eye opener for you to to come up here? I, I like I know it was different because you were quarterback, then you were safety, and then you were a quarterback again. But was it an eye opener for for you in terms of the quality and the rules and everything like that? It was an eye-opener for me. I had to learn the rules. And, uh, you know, it took me that, that first year to really get a feel of, you know, how wide the field was, what I can't, what I could and couldn't do. Uh, and I, I think, too, with the width of that field where guys can struggle, like your arm strength has to be on point or your anticipation has to make up for your arm strength if, you, if you're liking that. Because mm-hmm. the field is so wide and guys have the opportunity to make up ground on a on a missed throw, and I think that's what gets a lot of guys. Also, they don't realize that depth perception of how wide that field really is, uh, and I think that's what catches a lot of guys. Also, where in the NFL, it's so it's, it's so compact that it forces you to really anticipate it because if you're not, you're gonna be picked off or you're gonna miss those because the game is so fast. Because I think the NFL game is a lot faster than the CFL. I don't see a lot faster. The NFL game happens faster than the CFL game because the field dimension. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I uh, I've heard people liken it to like when you uh, 
when you send your recruiting tapes out and you're a Canadian, you're playing on a Canadian field. If you took a bunch of if you took a bunch of minnows and threw them in an Olympic sized pool, it would look slow and it wouldn't look the same. But if you take those same minnows and throw them in a fishbowl or an aquarium and they're flying around, it looks a lot faster, right? Correct. Uh, I totally agree with that. That's a good comparison. So a good analogy. So, so, Kerry Joseph, what is your goal in football? You're a very goal-oriented guy. We know that. You're into success. Hey, look at You're sitting on your weeks off working. So what's your goal? OC, run a big Div 1 football program, be an NFL head coach. What's your end game? Uh, my end, short term, I want to be OC. That's my short-term goal. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing now, doing the extra work, uh, you know, and, and, and owning my position, you know, being a position uh, coach, owning my own room, going to be an OC, calling the game, and then see where it takes me from there to go ahead and run the program. Um, you know, one thing I do, I, I, I sit back and I watch the way our offensive coordinator runs things on offense. I've had two guys the last three years to watch and to, to, uh, to pattern and, and to, to, you know, to get my own thoughts and, you know, how would I want my offense to look? And then I'll sit back and also watch the way Pete Cowell runs this system uh, as far as the time management, the way he delegates, uh, the way he gives his coaches opportunities to grow. So I put that into my coaching belt because as a, as a head coach, I know what I want it to look like. I know what I want my coaches that work under me to look like. So, you know, for, for me, short-term, it's to, to grow to be an OC and then long-term to see if that opportunity comes to – to lead a program, because I think uh, if, you, if, you, if you think any short of that, you sell yourself short. Another title sponsor is the Regina Sports Performance Center. Thanks to Aubrey Stedman for supporting this podcast and for creating a new center of excellence for the training and rehab of Saskatchewan's elite athletes. It's located over there at 1464 Broadway Avenue. Features an indoor football field, 24 yards wide by 50 yards long with stadium quality turf. It's got the markings for football, soccer, and lacrosse. They got two regulation size three-on-three basketball courts on a poly turf rubberized surface with markings for pickleball and badminton courts. And they got a quality physiotherapist and Scott Anderson on site to go along with weight training and cardio facilities. So make sure you check it out. 1464 Broadway Avenue in the heart of Regina. It's the Regina Sports Performance Center. And our second quarter is brought to you by our friends at Hammer Time Roofing in Saskatoon. Saskatoon's only certified roofing business specializing in GAF, CertainTeed, and Malarkey Roofing. Give Kevin Welsh a call at 262-ROOF. In the second quarter, I had a chance to sit down with Ryan Shahan of the Guelph Griffins, who has coached a number of CFL players, a number of CFL players who were on the Riders roster last season. We talk all things Canadian football with Ryan Shahan. And you know, I love sports in general, but the world of football because of the people you meet, uh, whether that's uh, the people you interview, the people who coached you, the kids you coach, when your kid's going on a recruiting trip and he meets different coaches, like my next guest, the head coach of the Guelph Griffins, Ryan Shahan. Hello, my friend. Michael, how are you? Thanks for having me on the show. Last time we were face-to-face, you weren't married yet, and you didn't have any kids. Now you're married, you have two kids. A lot happens in three-plus years. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, indeed. You know, it's great. I remember, like yesterday, I had your your wonderful son here on campus for his recruiting trip. Uh, You know, we had him circled as one of the premier talented kids in the country. I guess we knew we were talking about since he's now playing in the NCAA, but you're correct. I was not married. I was... uh, on uh, you know, for the fans out there, you know his uh, Michael's son, great player, great young man. Uh, he's going to have a great football career, in my opinion. And as I drove his lad to the airport, I was on my way to propose to my now wife. And this is a pre-pandemic time, and now we are married and have two beautiful daughters. So yes, a lot has happened in three years. So I know it's great catching up with you. Yeah, uh, that's awesome catching up with you. And I'll read between the lines. Besides prepping for football, because I know you're a football junkie, you were busy doing other things. So I'm glad you used your pandemic time well this is a family show we'll move right along the reason i kind of got you on here is i'm a big advocate 
of Canadian football. I think the C in the CFL is the biggest thing. It's the most important thing. And you have your fingerprints on a lot of guys in the CFL in your time being an assistant coach, OC over there in Calgary with the Dinos, now coaching with your dad, the great Pat Cheyenne, uh, there at Guelph. Uh, you're the head coach, and he's uh, beside you uh, uh, steering the ship in the background. We'll talk about that in a second. But you just look at our roster here at the Riders. A.J. Allen, who I had on not that long ago. What a great kid. You got Kean Schaefer-Baker, Jake Hardy, Logan Bandy, Mike Edom, you had a, a hand in coaching, although he was on the defensive side of the ball. Micah Tights. Like, there's a lot of guys uh, on Yekka. There's just a lot of guys here with the Rough Riders alone that you've had your fingerprints on. It just goes to show that, uh, you know, in coaching, you come across some great, great players who uh, have tremendous work ethic, talent, and character. Uh, those Calgary years were special years, and I was fortunate enough to come here. And, you know, uh, for A.J. Allen's last two years, you know, Kean Schaefer-Baker's senior year, Kosi Onyeka's final two years, you know, just some great guys that really uh, were the backbone of some really good years here at Guelph in 2019 and 2021. So happy for all those guys. Uh, thrilled that they're, you know, chasing and living the dream in pro football. And they get to do it in a place like Regina, where, you know, football is everything, it seems, from a fan's perspective. Yeah, do they legitimately – I don't know how much you talk to those guys because you're like a surrogate father for like 70, 80 kids, and those kids turn over year after year. It's the interesting thing about being a coach. But do you stay in touch with those guys? And if so, how do they like playing football here from, you know, their perspective to you? It's funny. I, I reached out to Kean uh, just to congratulate him because he's getting some uh, workouts south of the border – uh, in his words, he feels truly blessed for the opportunity he has to play in Regina. A.J. Allen seems to be enjoying himself, too. I'm looking forward to seeing him at our team awards night uh, next weekend, uh, January 28th, uh, here in Guelph. So it'd be great to catch up with him. And you know, it was a bye week. Uh, you know, they all dropped back into the facility. They came here, got a workout in, you know, reconnected with some of their old teammates. So they're definitely loving life in the prairie. Uh, people ask me about, uh, you know, NCAA, and I say, listen, Guelph, uh, there's a kid that contacted me, uh, Tom Rotohusker, is a big receiver out of Alberta, and he's coming down to visit you guys, I think, this weekend. And I said, you know what? Uh, NCAA, uh, Guelph would be as close to an NCAA facility as I've seen. And I'm not, you know, I love Canadian football, U sports football, very important. So I was telling him you guys run a, run a good ship there. But I want to ask you this. How important is it from your perspective that we have these Canadian stars in the Canadian Football League in terms of keeping interest and keeping programs like yours alive? Like I realize not everybody that plays U sports football is going to be pro, or even wants to be pro. But you have to have that dream for kids, right? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's all important that the Canadian talent uh, continues to develop, at, uh, either, especially in our country. But if they're fortunate enough to go and get a chance in the NC2A, I mean, we're, I'm never one to stand in their way. Uh, I, I think it's important for the growth of our game to continue to, uh, you know, coach these guys, give them chances. Hey, look, when we have training camp, you know, we kind of get it out of the way quickly. We ask a quick question, how many guys in the room here want to play pro football? And shoot, 100 hands go up in the air. So the kids are still living and chasing that dream that they had since they were little kids. And they love watching the game on TSN. They love to stay engaged. And it's great to see guys move on from Guelph, Calgary, you know, UBC, Western, Laval, and go on and get a chance and, uh, and live that dream. So it's, it's motivational on all fronts, from the player's perspective and from the coach's perspective. Continue to do everything we can to support these young men so they can go on and have a chance uh, to live that dream they had when they were kids. Listen, we can't compare ourselves to NCAA or the NFL because uh, they they just have different priorities down there in terms of their resources. Now, I know things could be different at different schools. I know you have a, you know, a couple of pretty good backers there at Guelph, and there are more established schools. But where I'm going with this is um, – you know, you look at Canadian football. What do we need to do at the U sports level to make these guys m kind of more names, more star power? Because that's really where the NFL benefits. By the time a lot of these guys get to the NFL, people already know who they are. How do we how do we make the product better in terms of even off field for for guys that you're coaching and for your level of football? 
My observation as a young person that uh, grew up around university football programs, then was a university football player, and then an assistant coach, uh, then a coordinator, and now a head coach who, you know, even at one time or another, dipped his toe in the waters of the CFL just for a brief ham sandwich, is that there's lots of there's lots of technical coaches in Canada, doing right by their players, doing right by their programs. You know, they're they're supporting them, they're recruiting them, they're coaching them, they're mentoring them, and they're getting them ready for that chance. I think that uh, an investigative lens needs to be used to evaluate the business model. How do we, in some fashion, get ourselves in somewhat of a position where there is local media coverage, there is national media attention? It just doesn't seem like there is a business model in place where there is a U Sports game of the week that's on you know, global CBC, TSN, Sportsnet, where you can turn on the television on uh, a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night or afternoon and watch a university game and get to know some of the Kean Schaefer Bakers and A.J. Allens of the world and then watch them as they go through the system. The United States seems to do an impeccable job of tracking these three, four, five-star athletes through high school into junior college and colleges and into the big game and into the draft. And they've been fans of these guys for years. So if there's anybody out there that can help us kind of fix the business of university football, uh, I think that there's there's one giant step that we could take as a game. And, and and therein lies the problem, because in hockey we do that here. But what's funny, Ryan, I think you'd agree with me, Canadian uh, Canadian people probably have a better chance. Their kids, you know, I want my kid. You know, people have dreams. They live vicariously through their kids, right or wrong. Oh, I'd love to see my kid be a pro athlete. Now, the NHL in our country, that's where the dollars are. CFL, not so much. But I'll tell you what, you can earn a decent living and have a decent star attraction being a pro Canadian football player, and you have a better chance of doing that than being an NHL player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, no question. You seem to be circling all around us. And, uh, and maybe there's kindred spirits like you and me out there, but I'm wired like this. Uh, if you put a TV camera, you know, in downtown Calgary and you showed me St. Francis versus Notre Dame or Ernest Manning on a Friday night, or you showed me uh, Miller versus Lobotus, Lobotus on a Friday night or uh, Vanier versus Lennoxville on a Friday night, I would watch that. I would watch a nationally te- televised high school, junior, or Sejab game any day of the week because I love our country. I love our game. I love seeing the stars of tomorrow go out there and shine and see how they handle the big moments. They seem to do a great job of it south of the border, and I I wish all of our young people had that opportunity here because I, I would tune in. Your dad is like a, a, a Steve Spurrier, a Bobby Bowden of U Sports, uh, one of the greats, Pat Shan, and he's coaching with you now. What's it like having dad kind of as a, I don't know, would he be an associate head coach, an assistant head coach? You're the guy, but what's it like you being the guy and he's kind of your sidekick? It's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it kind of, kind of fell right back into the old groove as I was his assistant between 2008 and 2014 uh, with a small uh, layover in Hamilton for one year. Uh, And that's really where I learned to coach. Uh, So it's great to have him here as the offensive line coach, assisting me and coach Saria on offense. Uh, It's it's great to see him do his thing when he doesn't have to worry about all the things that head coaches have to worry about. We just get to see the passionate, brilliant uh, football mind and his uh, continued passion to help develop young men at this level we kind of fell right back into the old groove real quick, and it's obvious that he still has a lot to give our great game. So the Guelph Griffins are fortunate to have him. I'm lucky to have him. Our staff, our department, our institutions, lucky to have him. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we've got some bright days ahead, and this hopefully is last chapter of his football coaching career. It's been great talking to you, man. Great catching up. Uh, continued success in the offseason recruiting, and uh, good luck next year. We'll be in touch. Thank you, sir. You take care. All the best. Well, folks, we've reached halftime here, growing the game 333, and time to recognize another one of our title sponsors. And we go to Saskatoon and PA to recognize Advantage Collision, your SGI-accredited auto body repair shop. They're a family-owned and a certified collision care OEM-approved auto body shop, providing comprehensive service as part of a worldwide network of best-in-class collision repair shops. 
Now, their customer service team can manage the entire process on your behalf to ensure everything you need is taken care of. Their high-performing, technically advanced team of auto body experts knows how to deliver exceptional workmanship and service in the shortest time possible, which is key, obviously. You want it, you want it done well, and you want it now. Choose Advantage Collision because they care about your safety. Our third quarter is brought to you by our friend Paul Waldo over at Royal LePage here in Regina. Get in the real estate game with the three-time Grey Cup champ and amateur football icon. Grew up in Regina, went through the RMF ranks, played with the Regina Thunder and his college ball at the U of S and now coaches in Saskatoon with the Huskies. So he's got it all covered. And our third quarter guest is Rob Bell, who is a North American renowned sports psychologist. He's talked to many NFL coaches and GMs and college football coaches and professional and college athletes about the mental side of the game. It's about, you know, really having a good, crappy day, right? Like, how do you not let the highs get too high, but not let the lows get too low, but be able to stay in that range of of doing your best so you're giving yourself a shot, you know, when it matters the most. And he did a really good job of that. You know, that's a good way of putting it, having a good, crappy day. I hear this all the time in sports, tough tough i want my players to be tough well that's not necessarily physically tough all the time depending on what sport you're playing but what does it mean to you rob bell to be tough i think a lot of times i mean obviously the will the drive that kind of has to be there. there's a hierarchy of mental toughness you know that motivation but that's where most people stop i think it really comes down to the ability to let go of mistakes, especially when you're in competition. Um, how are you able to just simply move on from that mistake and not let it influence your approach, your behavior, your attitude towards the towards the next play? And and then it you know transfers into you know how do you let go of that last game and and not let it transfer in the next game? And that's the part that I see is the best are able to to move on and let it go. Is there like a, a maybe a don't of mental toughness? You should never do this as it relates to mental toughness. Do you have a philosophy on that? <laughs> well, one of the things, I mean, one of the most classic don'ts is you never say what you don't want to have happen. So if you're saying, you know, you know, I, I don't want to miss this shot, I don't want to strike out, well, what, what you're really doing is you're introducing exactly what you don't want to have happen into the mind. And now you have to play mental gymnastics to try and overcome that. The best strategy is just tell yourself what you're, what you want to do. You know, I want to hit the ball hard. You know, I want to be able to have a good shot here. And uh, I always say, you know, we need to be telling ourselves rather than listening to ourselves. I think too often, you know, we're listening to that negative voice when we need to be telling ourselves in that moment what it is that we're going to do. You know, I, I've been watching some of your stuff online, and we'll get to that where people can find you a, a little later on. But I'd like you to reiterate for my listeners here on the Sports Cage. You know, Herm Edwards has that famous saying, we play to win the game. And that's one that gets replayed over and over again. But you preach the process over the product. And you told a, a kind of a nice it actually uh, made me think about it deeply. What Brett Favre said when he won the championship in 1996. Can you reiterate that for my listeners? Yeah, absolutely. And when I'm uh, keynote speaking, it's one of the parts I really share. I mean, he holds up the Super Bowl trophy. And, and again, I mean, it's not with everybody. You're going to admit, like, winning the Super Bowl has got to be the best feeling in the world. But he also said, was that it? Hmm. And then it was really intriguing. You see, is that it? Well, what else could there be? And that and that was why the reason why he said that in that moment, even though it was such a great feeling, he didn't quite know what to feel. And he loved the game so much, as many people do, is he just didn't want it to end. He reflected on the Week 10 comeback when they came back, when they're down 21-10, they came back to win. He kind of reflected on the practical jokes on, on coach, the bus rides, the locker room, and he just didn't want it to end. That's how much he loved it. And if you go back and you look, like Joe Gibbs said, look, it's not so much about having got it as it is about the adversity and struggle that you have to overcome in order to get it. And what we see, and this is proof, and this is the part that draws my ire in life, is what we're going to see is whoever wins this next Super Bowl, immediately the media is going to come out and say, well, can they do it again? Or where do they rank in the legacy of all the best of all time? And that's before – the confetti is even scooped off the, the field. 
And so we have to fall in love with that process and that product, and it takes nothing away from the product. Like winning is great. Winning is the feeling that we want. But it, and it takes nothing away, but that's how important that process is because it's always we're going to be on to the next before we know it. So we have to be enjoying that process, good and bad. Yeah, so Dr. Bell, how do you uh, train athletes or even corporate people who are in the corporate world? And we can take a lot from the sports field into the business world. How do you, how do you train or help those people just appreciate things in the moment. Cause you hear that a lot of times, you know, Hey, I won, I won the super bowl. I won the great cup here in Canada. I won the Stanley cup. And now uh, I'm on to free agency or I'm on to this or that instead of just relaxing and enjoying what you did. Yeah, exactly. And that's where I think we have to approach time. And, and that was part of like my next book as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to look at time. The good times don't last, but that also means the bad times can't last either. And we have to use the time to our advantage and soak up. Look, there are going to be bad times, but they don't last. And so since the good times aren't going to last either, it's just about going in with the mindset of maximizing and getting the most out of each and every day that we have because we really do not know. We live on a clock with no hands. And once we have kids, right, that clock grows legs. It moves faster and faster. And then it's sort of the supply-demand of time. When we're young, we have all the supply in the world, very little demand. Now that we get older, now we have uh, a lot higher demand and very little supply. And so that alone, it's just going with the mindset of being able to appreciate that no matter how bad a situation is, this too shall pass. No matter how good the situation that we're going in, this too shall pass. Because we can't we can't stay on the mountaintop of, of success, so we have to come back down. So it's, it's just really balancing that and – I think it's heading in with the mindset of knowing time is our advantage. It's not an enemy. How do we maximize that? It's a good point, man. Time management. So for volunteer coaches, you know, in Canada, here we are a lot listening to this show. What kind of tips would you give in terms of using sports psychology to coach, uh, you know, your own kids, coach other parents' kids, or just, you know, kids in high school, things like that? Absolutely. I mean, I think the best thing is, you know, with with coaches, it's the most important job. And any anyone that's coaching, they plant trees that they're never going to see. You have no idea the impact that a coach can make in somebody's life. But I can almost guarantee you that some of these coaches, they're the most important person in somebody's life. And the way that I always see it is we have to keep building confidence in those individuals, knowing that, look, it might not pay off next week. It might not even pay off this season. But you instilling the confidence – and belief in them is really just communicating that when you stay in it, that you will be successful. We just don't know when that's going to happen. But instilling the confidence in that kid at any level, that is what's going to last way beyond when sport is over. And that's the skills that, and that's why I'm so always geeked up about sport, right? Is, is mm. the confidence, the communication, the leadership, all these skills last way beyond when the sport's going to be over. Are we doing that? actively as coaches and that's where i look at the confidence and helping instill that belief in the kids it'd be so important let's whet their appetite before we tell them where they can find you is there one thing or a couple of basic things for an athlete even a coach somebody in just the everyday life to build mental toughness is there kind of one baseline thing you teach to start (laughs) that's a great question it's a great question i always say this you have to know your why your why has to make you cry. If it doesn't, it's not your why. It's not deep enough. You have to figure out, and if you look at any kind of athlete, they're going to be crying if they win because they realize how hard they worked for it. And if they lose, they're crying because they realize how painful it is and how much they put into it. But either way, you're crying. That's where you got to start. You have to start with your why. We ask ourselves that all the time. Why am I out here? Why am I doing this? That's a question that needs to be answered before we're in that environment, and that's where we need to always start with. All right, uh, Dr. Rob Bell in Indianapolis, uh, where can they find your stuff? I know you're an author of seven mental toughness books. Is there one recently you put out, and uh, where can they get more information on you? Well, I appreciate that, man. The next book's coming out this spring. It's called I Can't Wait to Be Patient. <laughs> and uh, they can yeah, they can find me on uh, you know social media. It's just at Dr. Rob Bell or my website. It's uh, drrobbell.com. Thanks for your time, man. I look forward to talking to you down the road. You're an interesting guest.
All right. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. And our fourth quarter is brought to you by the SAS Selects football program and my buddy Zelko Stefanovic operating out of the Yaris Center in Moose Jaw. Thanks to him for getting on board, supporting football not only in the literal sense, but here with this podcast in the financial sense. His wife, Deb, also a big part of the SAS Selects football program. I know they were holding their second annual SAS Selects Battle of the Prairies Tackle Football Tournament, and they are headed down to San Antonio coming up in February. Well, this guy was a must-watch TV in the CFL for nine games and a couple of playoff games. He was the biggest topic of discussion in the offseason. He is Nathan Rourke, and I caught up with him just after he agreed to a contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, here with stand-up guy Nathan Rourke of the Jacksonville Jags. That must have a nice ring to it. Yeah, definitely, definitely still new. So I'm still getting used to it. It's a little bit surreal, hasn't sunk in, but certainly uh, pretty cool when you say it. So yeah, appreciate you having me on. Having me on, Michael. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you too, man. Face of the CFL, you really turn this league uh, on its uh, on its ear, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that at the end of the interview. But what about Jacksonville and the Jags' offer or presentation? Did you did you like in the end? Yeah, for us, it really came down to situation and, and the best chance to to go in and. Uh, be on the active roster uh, year one, you know, really didn't feel like it was worth our time to go into a situation where a team wasn't all that interested. The situation didn't yield the best opportunity to get on the field and be on an active roster. And um, we feel like if I was going to be in a practice squad situation, it'd be better just to go and stay with the Lions, right? So um, the, J- the Jack- Jackson were- Jacksonville always, um, they-, they were big on-, on me from the beginning. They were um, uh, very interested, really wanted to give me a chance to compete to be the number two guy and um and then you know i think for me it's really important to have at least that opportunity to uh to make a difference if something were to happen to the starter in trevor lawrence so um you know all those factors was really the big thing and then obviously the 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 opportunity to to be coached by doug peterson someone who's a lot of success with young quarterbacks and um you know just a stand-up guy all around so looking forward to uh all those different things that that made this uh decision so much easy so uh so easy. C- certainly a quarterback friendly guy, right? Peterson's done a great job with Lawrence from his first year to his second year. What do you, what do you, uh, you know, is that, was that a determining factor for you, Nathan, just the turnaround Trevor Lawrence has had with Peterson? Yeah, certainly part of it. Um, you know, you see, I think, uh, first of all, Trevor is a outstanding quarterback and he's got a bright future ahead of him. Um, but I think that you definitely see a, a huge progression in terms of just what they're asking him to do, but also understanding of the game. And so you, you look at that as an outsider and you say, hey, you know, on top of all the great things you hear about um, Doug Peterson's character, the way that he treats, you know, everyone the same and, and they're a family over there in Jacksonville, um, you know, you're going to learn a lot of football and you're going to uh, develop and grow as a quarterback, which for me, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's what I want to do. I want to get better and uh, put myself in a position one day to be an NFL starter. Certainly can't uh, hurt that you had a connection, albeit brief, with Henry Burris in BC. And then you've got Mike McCoy there, the former Charger head coach, been an offensive coordinator and has ties to the CFL at the Calgary Stampeders. Yeah, yeah. We spoke, we, we, uh, we talked a little CFL uh, when, when I was down there for my workout. He, I believe he backed up uh, Dave Dickinson mm-hmm. for a bit when he in, uh, in Calgary. So, um, Oh, and so he was telling me about how windy it was in Calgary and if I played in any of those games. And um, and so he, he had fond memories. And that just goes to show you, I think, the, the respect that people have for the CFL. Um, maybe it's not so obvious, but the people who are involved in football really have respect for the people that come out there. And so I, I really feel like I'm going to have a shot. Um, so looking forward to working with Coach McCoy, but also, also just uh, really uh, excited and pumped up to work with Henry Burr, someone that I deeply respect and um, who's been in my corner rooting for me uh, from Jacksonville for uh, for a while, uh, you know, even before the 22 season started. So um, I'm just looking forward to that. A lot of people I feel like are in the building that are hoping that I continue to grow and, and develop uh, under their care. Well, Henry went through this too, uh, going down with Green Bay and Chicago. What kind of advice did he give you? Did he give you any key advice? Yeah, when I went down there, he was very helpful. He, he gave me some really unsolicited advice, just trying to give me, give me uh, uh talk to me about his experience like you mentioned and um 
you know, was telling me that, you know, the situation that he went down to wasn't something that uh, he would do again. He, he, feel like he, he felt like he left the CFL too early, and he ended up being just the third string, actually ended up being behind Doug Peterson in Green Bay, mm-hmm. um, which is where the connection is from. Um, but, uh, but, you know, for me, he just, he just said, hey, if the situation's right and they're going to give you a chance to, to contribute, which I feel like I am going to be able to um, in Jacksonville, be, uh, you know, that, that take advantage of that. And, and so um, I, I really appreciated that. And, and like I said, I'm looking forward to working with him when I get down there. So uh, Trevor Lawrence is the guy. There's no doubt about it. But you're always one injury away from playing there or somewhere else. Like we talk about it in the CFL here, Nathan, pro football anywhere, preseason football. You're not only – it's the greatest job interview in the world. You're not only auditioning for your current team but other teams. Is that kind of how you're approaching things? I know you're a Jacksonville Jaguar. But, you know, training camp, the, the you know, mini camp, training camp, and then the pre- preseason that'll be money time for Nathan Rourke yeah I mean you know obviously I think you think of it one thing at a time right you try to do everything you can to make an impression within the building that you're at but we've done uh, you know 12 workouts and, and and we've been in a bunch of buildings and I've you know shook a lot of hands and and try to make an impression wherever I go and so uh, you know like you said if we have a good preseason then you know who knows what ha- what's to happen um, you know I just it, it just makes more sense uh, to be able to go and be in the NFL and get NFL film, whether it's the preseason or a regular season, um, and, and for teams to evaluate you there uh, in hopes of being an NFL starter rather than playing a couple more years in the CFL, which is something that we thought about. Um, but you're not going to go from the CFL even if I win a couple more, or if I win some great cups or, or win an MOP. Um, you know, I don't think teams are going to give you um, an NFL starting job right off the bat without you going through the system a little bit, which is why we're doing it now while I'm young at, and we'll be 25 next year. So that was all part of the, the thought process with the decision. At any point, was it a tough decision for you? Because, I mean, let's be honest, you are rolling in BC, but not only are you the face of the Lions, you were the face of the Canadian Football League, whether you want to admit it or not. You were must-see TV. You were one of those guys like a McDavid in hockey and such. You were that to the CFL. Was it tough at all to make this decision? Yeah, for me, it was it was tough because um, I had some really great relationships and had some great teammates and coaches in BC, and you know I was familiar with the offense and uh, you know the way that things ended last year. I didn't feel like we, you know, I did my performance to that team justice, and so I it was hard for me to let that go and um, be able to um, to move on from that. And um, I really wanted to you know run it back one more time with that team and. And um, that, that was what made that decision tough. It, it was just, you know, it's just the guys in the locker room and, and the people in that building. So, um, you know, the big, good thing is that those people have been very, very, um, very, very kind and appreciative and, and very understanding of, of my decision and uh, very supportive. And so um, I know that there's, we're going to be able to stay in touch. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that that's, at the end of the day, what I was um, torn between. Yeah. Uh, how's the injury? How, how How's everything going with that? I know you played at the end, but uh, uh, have things progressed since the season ended? Yeah, we just kind of try to maintain it the best I can. I, you know, I, I feel a lot better than I did at the West Final, to be honest, and especially in the, the West Semi. Um, you know, but I, I really haven't had any time off for these next couple of weeks after the decision. You know, I, you know the next couple of weeks I'll have uh, surgery and, and get the hardware out, which really then we're on a road to being 100%. I think that the the hardware in there kind of lacked, uh, prevented me from having full mobility. So I was just kind of making uh, use of what I had. And um, so once we get that out, we'll be we rocking and ready to go and and uh, looking forward to uh, what, what the future holds in terms of what um, the NFL has. Yeah. Uh, you and your fiancé, congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Um, uh, so I imagine here over the next little bit, you said surgery, but you got to look for some places now, I'm thinking, in Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're doing that. It's it's been it's been a lot of a lot of things happening. We're getting married here in the summer, and and so a lot of things are are happening very quickly. And but it's all really exciting stuff. Wouldn't can't imagine anybody else that'd rather go on this adventure list. So uh, both of us uh, Canadians going down to Jacksonville. We're going to be uh, snowbirds really early in our in our <laughs> lives, and uh, we're going to enjoy every minute of it. Hey. Um... Before I, uh, I want to ask you to say something to CFL fans before you're gone, because we, you've got a lot of fans across the country right here in Saskatchewan too, but you talked about it at the start of the interview. Do you, have you had a chance to really sit and let it marinate? Uh, hey, I am, I, I grew up watching Brett Favre. I wanted to give the NFL a go. Now I get a chance to do it. 
Yeah, Michael, I think uh, when I have a chance to, to get down there and spend some time around the team and the facilities and the coaches and kind of get a taste of what the NFL life is, is like, and I, that's when I think he'll probably sit in right now, still being here in Canada and, and you know, living in my parents' house. Like, I think all those things are haven't quite set, uh, you know, sunk in quite yet, but I am looking forward to it. It is a dream come true, but in reality, you know, this is where the work really starts, and um, I'm really looking forward to that, and I uh, can't wait for it to happen. Isn't that funny? I'm talking to you like you're the next coming, because you really were. We were waiting for a Canadian studded quarterback for years, and, and you lit the league on fire while living in your parents' basement. I don't mean to laugh, but that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely was. I was. I it was something that I was uh, a little ashamed of first year, but you know, when I realized how much money I was saving. I, I was I was very happy about it, and uh, you know I I think I've done pretty a pretty good job of of uh, being smart with my money uh, on a rookie minimum CFL salary, and uh, I'm very appreciative to be able to you know come home and have the support of of my parents and of the rest of the family here in British Columbia. And again, one of the part of the reason that it was difficult was the fact that some family that doesn't usually get to come see me play. I uh, got to see me play a lot of home games, and that was really special to me. I'm um, glad it happened, and uh, very appreciative to uh, to uh, for the opportunity for the Lions. Well, I think you can agree with this. this. The NFL didn't look at you the first time. They wanted you to be a receiver, and now you're back as a quarterback, and that wouldn't have happened without, obviously, your talents, but a chance to have that platform, and that is the CFL. So any message mm-hmm. to CFL fans listening to this thing? Yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm really grateful. The reception um, was was fantastic. I mean, uh, it was a real treat to play at BC Place in front of uh, the BC Lions fans, who were just fantastic. And um, but it, it was really special to be able to go to you know away stadiums and uh, some really great places to play. And a lot of passionate TFL fans across the country that were um, that were fans of me, and um, and I I really appreciate that. I know that. There's a lot of pride that um, CFL fans take in their Canadian players, and um, I hope that continues for the for the next batch of guys and and the already emerging stars that are in this league. And um, and uh, I hope that I just hope that continues. And I just I'm, I'm very grateful for the, the opportunity it, it was to to, uh, to really um, to really uh, yeah to make to make a bit of a name of myself and and to be able to to play uh, a game that I love and in front of so many people who are happy to see me play and, and were as fired up as I was. So um, just really appreciative of that and you know, it'll be an experience I never forget. I'm very grateful for the uh, the way that uh, my career has gone so far. Well, Ryder Nation will be a part of your uh, history because you were on the field when Mike Riley couldn't play. Didn't start off so yeah. great, but you really came back with a lot of moxie. In fact, I think you guys ran out of time that game, but that was your first taste of professional football and it was right here in the heartland yeah. of football. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was it, it was fun. What a way to start, right? I mean, you got, you got to go to the, like you said, yeah, the the, the heart of the, the CFL and heart of Canadian football, and uh, it, it, Mosaic's always going to be a special place for me to play. I mean, we we're we we're pretty successful playing there this year, uh, this past year. So uh, it's always, what a, a a fun place to win, and um, and uh, just would have liked to have played that last game in Mosaic uh, that they played this year. That would have been fun as well. Well, my second favorite team now, the Jacksonville Jags, uh, and they just happen to beat my first uh, favorite team, the Chargers. So, uh, hey, uh, best of luck, my friend, and thanks for uh, taking time out of a very busy time for you and talking to me, okay? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Anytime.